I remember one time I was snorkeling and I felt myself kick something and I looked and I realized that I had kicked a shark. If there were a time in my life where I could have been an Olympic swimmer, it was that moment. (laughs) I have never moved that fast. And I'm pretty sure I swam right into the boat. Anxiety is something we all know, isn't it? Something we all know about, but preaching about it is a different thing. I'm not going to lie. When I was assigned this topic, I felt a little bit out of my depths. I mean, in a church like this where there are psychologists and psychiatrists and there are all kinds of trained professionals who are much better equipped to speak about anxiety. I mean, yes, I've had plenty of anxiety in my life. I remember when I was going as a student missionary to Taiwan. I was so excited and packed my bags and said my goodbyes and got on the plane and it was all excitement until I was somewhere over the Pacific Ocean and I realized there were some unanswered questions. Was someone picking me up from the airport? Where was I going? What was I going to do? And I started having anxiety and I got there and good news, there was someone to pick me up and they took me to the school where I'd be teaching and immediately I put my bags in my room And I went out to explore the city. And it's like I don't learn. Because it wasn't too long into that walk where I realized I didn't know my way back to the school. And I only knew how to say three things in Chinese. How are you? I eat rice. And something I shouldn't have ever said. Anxiety is something that we're all familiar with on that end. In 2007, Harvard did some research about anxiety and they determined that about 19.1% of people would experience anxiety that year. And about 31.1% would experience it at some point in their lifetime. That's quite a few. But what gets even more scary is in 2018, they did research and discovered that 63% of college students suffered anxiety. And it might be easy to look at these two numbers and say, well, then clearly the period of life where you suffer anxiety is during those college years. And for those of us who are past it, good news. Yeah, except the problem is that 2007 study, the college age weren't actually the group that had the highest level of anxiety. The highest level was for 30 to 50 year olds, the people who had finished college and were figuring out how to pay for it.
But by 2018, anxiety had gone up to 63% of college students. And if that's not enough to mildly terrify you, the World Health Organization estimates that the number of people with anxiety went up 25% during COVID. And let's be honest, there isn't a one of us here who doesn't know that feeling of anxiousness, who doesn't know that grip of anxiety. But why am I talking about it? I'll be honest, that was a question posed very directly to me a couple weeks ago. Someone pointed out that as a pastor, I should stick to my area. And if we wanted to have somebody talk about anxiety, we should have a psychologist up here. And you know what? That's a fair point. Because this is not an area where I've been trained. But because I felt out of my depths, I called up my sister. My sister who has a PhD in clinical psychology and she was more than happy to help. And when I told her that somebody had said I shouldn't be preaching about this, she didn't answer with psychology. She answered with theology, actually. And she pointed out that because Adventist belief in the state of the dead, I should be preaching about this. It might not make sense. But here's the thing. As Seventh-day Adventists, we believe that the soul and the body, the spiritual and the physical are one, right? And that when God in Genesis 2-7 breathed life into Adam, that's when he became a living being. Those things go together. Last week, Pastor Rodley talked about how physical and spiritual went together. But also, what makes up a human isn't just physical and spiritual, it's also mental and emotional. All of these things together combine to make what we are. And so we can't talk about theology without also talking about emotions. They play in. And not only that, but Jesus, when he was here, he talked about anxiety. He talked about mental health. And so, it might not be my area. But as humans, it's our area. We do need to talk about it. Luckily, my sister also had some psychology for me, though. She said, the first thing you need to remember is there are no bad feelings. It's easy to try to say, well, that's a good feeling and that's a bad feeling, but all feelings serve a purpose. And that fear where your heart starts racing, your breath becomes a little shallow that we heard about in the children's story, that's good when you see a shark. It's good when you're walking in the woods and you come across a bear. That makes sense. Because that's what gives us 
that energy to take off and run. But when we have those same physical reactions to unpaid bills or a meeting that we have coming up or an exam around the corner where running actually isn't the right answer, it, it doesn't help. And so one of the best things you can do to counteract that is breathe. You see, when your heart starts racing, the blood is flowing through faster, and when your breath becomes shallower, less oxygen is getting into the blood, and so you need to breathe. And just that act of breathing allows your body to slow down and to better deal with the feelings that you've got going on. Now, here's the thing, though. When you're in the middle of feeling anxious, when you're feeling terrified, when you're feeling worried, you're not necessarily going to think, I need to breathe. And so, get in that habit. Take time to be intentional about breathing about slowing your body down. This also is found right there in Genesis 2-7. When the God of the universe created humanity, he did it through breath. It's that breath that sustains us. The breath of life. So when you're feeling anxious, breathe. The next thing my sister told me about was the worry tree. Now, I'd never heard of a worry tree, but it's, there's all kinds of graphics online if you want to see a picture of one, but the idea is basically you need to ask yourself three questions. The first question is, what is it that I'm worried about? So that you can actually articulate, why am I having the feelings that I'm having? And once you have that, then you have to ask yourself the next question. What can I do about it? And maybe, maybe there's nothing you can do about it. Maybe this is not something in your domain. And if it is not, then you need to refocus. Stop thinking about it. Stop worrying about it. If there's nothing you can do, refocus. But, What if there is something you can do? Well, then you need to ask yourself the next question. Can I do something about it now? And if you can do something about it now, then do it. Take care of it, and then you can refocus. And if you can't do something about it right now, if it's something that you need to accomplish later, there's no way you can accomplish it right now, then make a plan. Come up with a concrete plan of how you're going to take care of it. And once you've made that plan, refocus. Jesus also talks about this in Matthew chapter 6. Verse 25, Jesus is talking about worry. And he says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, neither They sow, nor reap, (coughs) nor gather into barns. 
and let your heaven and yet your heavenly father feeds them are you not more valuable than they and can any of you by worrying add a single hour to the span of life and why do you worry about clothing consider the lilies of the field how they grow they neither toil nor spin yet i tell you even solomon in all his glory was not clothed as these But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? And then you skip down a few verses to verse 34, and it says, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the point Jesus was making, right? Worry about the things you can take care of today. And those things that are outside of your control, don't worry about them. There are some things in life we cannot take care of, but we can trust God with, can't we? But I like hidden right in the middle of this is the verses I skipped over. Jesus is telling us what it is we should be refocusing on. You see, in Hebrew thinking, they would put the main point sandwiched in the middle. And so he talked about worrying before and after, but in the middle, there are these other verses that we're also very familiar with. For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. And Jesus, when he's talking about worry, when he's talking about anxiety, he's saying, don't worry about these things. Instead, refocus. And Seek ye first the kingdom of God. That wasn't the only time Jesus spoke about anxiety, though. You see, probably the most anxious event in the disciples' lives, Jesus was doing everything he could to prepare them for it. He had told them that he was going to die, but somehow they were not able to connect the dots. They somehow assumed he was saying something other than what he was actually literally saying. And so they kept ignoring it because it didn't make sense because their picture was... They had been following him for three and a half years. He was going to set up a kingdom. They were about to enter into a new era. And so when Jesus talked about dying, that didn't fit with the reality that they pictured. And so I'm guessing they just filtered that out. But there was something about that night, the night of the Last Supper, where everything started to become a little bit more real. He talked about his body and his blood. He again told them he was going to die and then Judas left to betray him and then Jesus is talking about the fact that he's going to leave them and where he's going, they can't go also. I 
I can only imagine the anxiety level building as Jesus continues. But I love where Jesus goes next. Because right after this is John chapter 14. These are verses we've, we've grown up with. These are verses we know. I, I would imagine that we could all probably quote them from the King James. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. Jesus, as his disciples are wrestling with what's next, instead of talking about what's immediately next, he again refocuses them on the second coming. Now it's easy sometimes to think that Because the second coming is coming, we can ignore everything else around us and just think about that. And that doesn't work either. That's not what I'm suggesting here. What I'm suggesting here is use the second coming to understand the importance of the things around us. Does it make sense to lay in bed at night thinking about the amount of money in your bank account when we've been promised streets of gold? Does it make sense to worry about a meeting and what may or may not be said when one day we'll sit at the feet of Jesus? It has to put things into perspective, doesn't it? As Seventh-day Adventists, We have got to look at the world. We've got to understand reality through the lens of the second coming. We've got to realize this is not how the story ends. No matter how bad the gas prices get. No matter how bad the war in Ukraine may get. This isn't how the story ends. It doesn't end with a virus. It ends with a trumpet. It ends in the moment in the twinkling of an eye when somehow all of this wrong will be made right. And we've got to be able to process the things we're feeling, the things we're thinking through that lens. That's what Jesus was telling his disciples. But he doesn't end there because it gets to John 15 and it gets even better. In John 15, he's talking about the vine and the branches. There's two beautiful promises here. Verses 4 and 5. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing.
I would imagine a lot of you have to-do lists. And if you're like me, there are things that have been on your to-do list for a long time that you have not yet accomplished. There aren't enough hours in the day to accomplish all the things that we're supposed to. There's always something that I feel like I need to be doing and I'm worrying about. But here in John 15, Jesus is telling his disciples, point blank, the only thing you need to worry about is abiding in me. Because if you're not abiding in me, you will not accomplish anything. And if you're abiding in me, you will accomplish the things you need to do through me. That's a beautiful promise. Because if we're abiding in him, then those to-do lists are his lists. He gets to determine what's important and what's not. We don't have to worry about it because the only thing we need to worry about is abiding in him. And that's a beautiful promise. This last weekend we had a family reunion. My in-laws live on the other side of Michigan. Like just how we are right above the Indiana border, right next to Lake Michigan. They're right next to Lake Erie, right above the Ohio border. It's like exactly the other side. So we had a family reunion there at my in-laws and I had to come back earlier than the rest of my family. And so Tuesday I was driving back and I was driving and right about the time I got to Kalamazoo, I looked down and there was trouble on the dashboard. Now, I've learned the hard way that when lights come on, you don't ignore them. In 2018, I killed two cars on the freeway. I, the one, the mechanic said, oh, it'll be fine. We'll fix it later. It wasn't. It died on the way back from the airport from Chicago. And it will never drive again. And then I bought a new car and it lasted in, well, two and a half months before it died on another freeway on the other side of Chicago. And so I've learned when lights come on, you pay attention. But I've also learned if the light just comes on, it's, you probably should have it looked at, but if it starts blinking... Get off the freeway. And so I'm driving along and about to Kalamazoo and I look down and there is a blinking light and it is not even a light that I knew would ever blink. You know, when you shift gears and it like you have a light for park, neutral, reverse, the drive light was blinking. And so I called my wife and I said, hey, can you Google this and find out what in the world is happening? And she said, sure. And so then I got off at the next exit and I was like, I've got to find a mechanic. Apparently that is not the side of Kalamazoo that has mechanics. And so I am driving and there is no mechanic to be seen. Um, And so she calls me back and she's like, yeah, you need to take that in. Um, 
And we decided the best thing probably to do would just be to take it to the Honda dealership because they should know exactly what was going on. And so, sure enough, the Honda dealership was completely the other side of Kalamazoo. And so as I'm driving along, you would think after preparing a sermon on anxiety, I would know the things to do. Like I already talked about breathing and the worry tree. I knew these things. But as I'm driving along, imagining another car dying and not wanting to buy a used car in this market right now, my heart rate was going up and I was not thinking about breathing. I was just thinking about driving as carefully as possible. And finally, I pull in to the Honda dealership and I take it to their service counter and the guy says, oh, that, it'll be fine. You're only 100 miles away or an hour away. You'll be fine. Just drive back to Berrien Springs. I said, no. I said, you guys need to look at this. I, I'm not going to kill another car. And so they looked at it and they said, well, it's a minor thing. It's the fourth gear pressure switch. If you know what that is, congratulations. I don't still. And they said, but it should be fine. Plus, we don't have the part and we don't know when we'll get it, so don't stay here. But luckily, that time that I had was enough time to remember to refocus. And I had spent some time in prayer, and so I got in the car. And I'll tell you what, from Kalamazoo home, that light never came on again. And I talked to a transmission person here, and they said, oh, yeah, that model of Honda, sometimes the heat will make that light blink. It's good to know now. I don't know how people survive in the South. But I learned something on that drive. You see, I was headed home. And I had anxiety because I didn't trust my vehicle. The beautiful thing about abiding in Christ is we're heading home and we can trust the vehicle. He's going to get us where he's taking us. And if if you don't believe me, read the Bible. Story after story is about God's faithfulness. No, he doesn't promise us that warning lights won't come on and sometimes they'll blink. There will be problems. There will be issues. There will be things that don't go the way we planned. But we can trust him to get us through. Because no matter how bad things get, he promises. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you and I go so that where I am, you may be also. Dearest Heavenly Father, not in a world with mounting anxiety, in a world where 
things don't seem to be getting better. Teach our hearts to abide in you. Teach us to trust you and only you in your name. Amen.